willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. First Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to begin reading verse number 1. Now, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. There was a valley between them. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bag of shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you. Let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may be, that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We know this scripture. We know this story. We know what's going to come to pass in the verses after where we stopped this morning. We teach this story to our children about David facing against Goliath. We know that David is the youngest of his father's sons and that his brethren, his elder brethren, are in the armies of Saul here and battle on this day. But we read this morning, we didn't even get really to David. That would come in the verse after where we stop. And I will mention him probably this morning. But I want to deal with this Philistine named Goliath of Gath. And here in the scripture we're told that the armies of Israel have come and they have set themselves on one mountainside and the armies of the Philistines have come and they're on the other mountainside and there's a valley in between them. And so in that day the armies would come off of the mountains and meet together in the valley and they would fight in the valley between. And this champion named Goliath of Gath, I began to read again last night and again this morning then as we were reading the scripture here in the service this morning, the reality set in in my heart about the fact that God didn't spare any detail to let us know how formidable of an enemy that this man looked like in the eyes of all the men of Israel. 
Israel. Uh, that he stepped out and the Bible said that his height uh, was six cubits and a span. There's a lot of debate about what those measurements entail uh, but we know that based on common uh, uh, consensus that he would have been somewhere uh, between nine and twelve feet tall. This man uh, that stepped out on the battlefield it begins to tell us about his armor and how much it weighed and that there was a man that went before him just to carry his shield and he stands here on the mountainside and all the armies of Israel are watching him and looking at him and they're troubled on the inside. For the Bible said that he begins to cry out and he says, I don't understand why we need to go through this fight. In other words, that's what he's saying when he said, why have you set yourselves at the battle in array? He said, there's no need for your army and my army to fight against each other. He said, I'll stand and represent my people. And he said, I want you to go through your ranks and send me a man and I'll fight with your man and whichever one of us is alive at the end that'll be the winner and the loser will be servants to the winner and he cries out give me a man that's what I want to preach on this morning it's what's heavy on my heart on give me a man I thought about, and I'm just going to preach what's on my heart if you'll pray for me this morning. I thought about in these days that we're living in, it's been lost about what it means to really be a man. There are a lot of things that people think the world has given the impression about certain things that makes a man. I'm going to tell you it takes more than making money to be a man. It takes more than working out in the gym or lifting weights to be a man. It takes more than driving a certain car or driving a certain truck or playing sports or all of these things that the world emphasizes that will make you a man. It takes more than that to be a man. But I understand if I read my Bible right that there is a biblical definition of what it means to be a man. I believe that to be a man according to the Bible is to be the spiritual leader of your home. And to be a man according to the Bible is to be a godly example of your children and to those that look up to you. And to be a man means to be a leader and a pillar in the church. Not necessarily to hold an office. You don't have to hold an office to be a pillar in the church. And that's a Bible word, by the way. Over there in the New Testament, when the church was getting its start and uh, they were going to Gentiles Paul and his company were preaching the Gentiles and they came together there among the church that was constituted of Jews that had been saved and they were unsure about Paul. Uh, they didn't know what to think about this man uh, who used to persecute the church uh, and now he said he'd been called of God uh, to go to the Gentiles uh, but John said that Peter was there and James and John and when they extended the right hand of fellowship under Paul and his company Paul said because they were pillars in the church because they were men that could be counted on and men that people had confidence in Paul said when they saw that they gave us the right hand then they all gave 
us about him and sent us for it that we should preach to the Gentiles and they to the Jews repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, in other words, when of these men that could be counted on, of these men that had a reputation of being faithful in the church, they were pillars in the church, and when everybody saw that they agreed with Paul, then the others took seat. Why? Because they trusted and confidence in these men. I think in these days it's lost in our generation about what it means to be a man. Goliath's call went out and he said, give me a man. And I think in these days the cry is still going out, give us a man. In the church, give us a man. In our families, give us a man. In our communities, give us a man. A man, according to the Bible, a biblical man, with standards according to the word of God. We need some men in this day. I'm going to tell you, according to the word of God, if you study your Bible right, God instituted the home before he ever instituted the church. And if the church is a direct reflection of the home and the reason in these days that we have a breakdown in our churches is because there's been a breakdown in the home. The church will only be as strong as the families that make up the church. What goes on inside the walls of the church will be a direct reflection of what has went on outside the walls in our homes. And our homes, our churches cannot be right with God when our homes are not right with God. Our churches cannot be in order when our homes are not in order. And so in these days we need some men to stand and rise to the occasion and be what God instituted for us to be. I thought about, and I, I know I'm not trying to single anybody out. Now, some of you ladies are thinking you're going to get off easy this morning, and maybe you will. And so, my heart just to preach to the men. Now, I'm not trying to discredit anybody. Thank God. Godly ladies, thank God. I know some ladies uh, uh, that I'd as soon have play for me as most men uh, uh, that I know, and I'm being honest. Uh, uh, there are some ladies that I know can get a hold of God. Uh, I'm glad for them. I'm glad for men uh, uh, that I know. I'm glad for men in this church, and I'm not saying uh, that anybody here is guilty of anything uh, uh, that I'm preaching about or guilty of not being, uh, uh, but I'm telling you with the persuasion and the influence of the world, uh, we need some men and to be men in the church and in our homes. You say, well, what does it mean to be a man? Well, according to the Scriptures, Goliath called for a man that was willing to fight. I want to say this morning, give us some men that will fight. I'm not talking about fighting amongst ourselves. It was covered in Sunday school this morning uh, that it's not pleasing to God. There ought not to be no division, uh, no separation, no contention, no strife. Uh, That spirit of fighting amongst ourselves is not of God. Uh, But there is a willingness to fight uh, for what is right in the heart of the people of God. Uh, Jude said we're to earnestly contend uh, for the faith. Uh, There's an enemy out there uh, and Joseph as it 
was written in this scripture, uh, so it is about our enemy, uh, that he's a formidable adversary, uh, and he's seeking the destruction uh, of the people of God. Uh, he's seeking the destruction of our children and the destruction of our homes. Uh, God give us some men that will fight in these last days. Fight with everybody else, and God just really got to working in my heart. I mean, it's one of them times that I did, I had nothing. All of a sudden, I had it all, and God was just working in me. And I was looking in this scripture. I want to say we need some men who will fight when everybody else is confounded. That's what the Bible said in verse number eleven. The Bible said when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I looked up the word dismay. It means to be confounded and to be so afraid you don't know what to do. And Storm's Concordance said it often happens with a sudden change in circumstance. I want to say I never thought about it this way before till the Lord got to work it in my heart. Israel is on the opposite end that they're used to being on. Israel's used to being the victor. Israel's used not because that they were something big or something bad, but because they were God's chosen people. And God gave them victory. They're not used to carrying in fear against their enemies. And all of a sudden, the circumstances have changed. And the situation, their time has changed. And it's got them confounded. And they don't know what to do. But there still need to be a man. And we understand that later in the scripture we're going to be introduced to the man. Even though he's just a young man. Now I want to tell you something this morning, young men. And I, I have a hard time within my flesh preaching this this morning because of my age. But I don't have much of a hard time in my spirit because God is working in me to preach this this morning. But I'm telling you, those of us that are young, don't let the devil, don't let your flesh, don't convince yourself because you're young you can't be a man and be a pillar in the church when nobody else would stand David was the youngest in his father's house and he's willing to stand even when everybody else was confounded he was willing to fight for what was right in his day I'm going to say we need some men who will fight when everybody else is confounded. We need some men who will fight even though they're criticized by the brethren. I mean, David come along. His father said, go take this bread and cheese to your brothers. See how they fire. See how the battle's going. David gets down there just in time to watch Goliath step out on the battlefield and hear what Goliath said. David, I think, jumps out of the way and looks around thinking at any minute everybody's going to jump and volunteer and run to take this man as he defies the armies of the living God and nobody moves. Nobody moves. And David said, what will be done to the man that killeth this man? And the the people of Israel, the men of the army say, well, he'll be increased with riches. Saul giving his daughter to be his wife and all these things that'll be done for this man. All of a sudden, while they're rehearsing what had been promised, I mean, even Saul himself, he should have been the one. I mean, if we really want to get down where the rubber meets the road, he should have been the one. 
that he was head and shoulders taller than any man in all of Israel. He should have been the one to step out. He should have been the one to fight. But even Saul was afraid. And while they're rehearsing to David, all Saul said will be given to the man that defeats Goliath. His elder brother alive says, I know the naughtiness of your heart. Why you come down? You just come to see the battle and to make yourself feel good. You just want to be nosy. You want to stick your nose where it don't belong. Really, what his brother's saying. I mean, we're living in a day that we're going to be men and raise our families right and stand for what's right, have our homes right. There's an order in this Bible for how a home ought to be, how a children ought to be. It's all in there. And there'll be criticism in our day if you're going to be a man. If you're going to stand according to the principles of the Word of God. If you're going to be, have your home the way it ought to be, there'll be criticism. If you're going to raise your children the way it ought to be, there'll be criticism. People are saying, well, you're sharing them. That's exactly right. I don't want my children exposed any more than they have to be exposed to. And I'm the responsible party. I'm the one that's going to give an account of the way I conducted my home and my family one day. And there will be criticism. And I'm going to say the criticism won't always come from the places you think. Sometimes the criticism does come from without. We expect that. We expect to be criticized by the world. They don't understand us. And they don't understand our God. They've not been enlightened. They've not been brought to the light. They're still in the darkness. But what about when your family criticizes you? I've had my own family say, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, the way you're operating the house, the way you're raising your children. But I'm going to tell you, it ain't about our parents understanding. It ain't about our family understanding. It ain't about the Baptist understanding. It's about being a Bible man and a Bible husband and a Bible father in the midst of even criticism in this day. And the reason we're to fight amongst the confounding and amongst the criticism is because there is a cause. David said, what have I now done? David didn't understand. I mean, David did not expect to be criticized by his own brother for wanting to do what was right. And we better brace ourselves in this day if we're going to stand for what's right. Criticism is going to come from everywhere. But David said, matters not whether you understand it or not. Matters not whether you feel like I do or not. There is a cause to do what's right. There is a cause to fight in this day. We look around God. I've thought about it often here lately. God has been working on my heart. Like I said, I know I'm not as far down the road with my family. But you've already got your kids raised and I'd probably learn a whole lot from you. And I want to if God will let you train me and help me and mentor me and give me advice. But I'm going to tell you, God has blessed us around Gospel Way Baptist Church. And we got little kids everywhere and more on the way. And I'm going to tell you when I look around and there are days I get down just like you do. There are days I feel like giving up just like you do. But here lately when I've been down, God's brought little kids' faces to my face and my heart and my mind and reminded me there is a cause to carry on in this day. And I'm going to tell you this morning, men, daddies and grandpas and leaders in the church, there's a cause to fight for our children in this day. That's what Nehemiah said 
when the enemy came up against them and the people were discouraged, the people were downhearted, he said, remember the Lord and fight for your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Fight for them. And there's a cause. And I want to say, in these last days, there's a cause to fight. Give me a man that'll fight. Then I want to say this morning, give me a man that'll be faithful. Oh, we need some faithful men in this day. And I want to throw it in part just a minute right here. And I'll try to hear my best and go on. And this got a couple more things that the Lord's put on my heart. I understand and you ought to be faithful to the house of God. I believe it's required in us to be faithful. If I find in my Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards. And that's what you and I are. We're servants of God. That a man be found faithful. And that's the only requirement that is spelled out explicitly in the word of God is for us to be faithful. But faithfulness requires more than three times a week. Faithfulness requires more than Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Faithfulness requires being faithful to God on Monday just as much as you are on Sunday. And if we would preach in this day, faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the house of God would take its place after being faithful to God. Amen. The problem in this day is we've raised a generation of people not just men, but people, men and women, that are faithful, that know how to be faithful to the house of God. But they have no idea what it means to be faithful to God. And faithfulness to the house, I understand. Please don't get me wrong this morning. I know that God's ordained and instituted the local church. I understand this is where God does His work. This is where the message goes forward. But if we're just faithful to the house of God without faithful to God, there won't be anything much going on in the house of God. But if we'll be faithful to God on Monday and Tuesday and Friday and Saturday. I'm glad when we come in the house of God. It won't be a duty. It won't be an obligation. And we won't have to roll ourselves out of bed and make ourselves come to the house of God. I know we all have bad days. I know our flesh feels different ways. Sometimes we may not feel like being in the house of God. But I'm glad there's a desire and a joy in the heart of the people of God to be in God's house. It was this morning in Sunday school. And I realize maybe some of you weren't here, but we was getting ready to start. We were up here to sing before Sunday school this morning and my least one was coming around of the pew back there from Paul and Chick and coming back around up to the front to sit with her mom and her brother Jacob and Miss Sayla come in with their kids and Ella come through the door and they only made her round around the pew and they met about the time the door opened and I watched and they both had jumped up and down and hollered there's glad to see each other I'm going to tell you would to God I think that's the picture that David paints when he said I was glad when they said unto me let's go into the house of the Lord there's an excitement and anticipation about what might take place in God's house. It's untold what might go on in here. That's what we're supposed to come with, an anticipation of what God may do among us. Have a confidence. It's not saying that we deserve it. You can't deserve God to move. You can't make God move. You can't obligate God to move. He does it because He loves us and because of mercy and grace. Now, it ain't ever service we come in that He does move, but I'm going to tell you what I want to do. I want to come in the house of God in the anticipation of what God may do among us in this service. 
And if we get to leave this morning and we get to come back tonight, I'm not going to gauge tonight on what went on this morning. I'm going to come back anticipating what God may do in that service. But this morning's service won't stand for tonight. And what may happen tonight won't stand for this morning. But every opportunity and every time we get to come in the house of God, we ought to come with excitement and anticipation of what may go on in the house of God. It's easy. Sometimes to be faithful in some things and harder to be faithful in others. But the Lord got to speak into my heart. And the word faithful just means if you study it in its original in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it means to be worthy of trust. It means to be able to be counted on. It means you'll do what you know you're supposed to do. Now I'm not saying being perfect and I'm not saying living sinless but I know there ought to be some people and it ought to start with us as the men, as the leaders, as the examples. It ought to start with us as it was with Peter, James and John. They were pillars in the church and because they were faithful they could be counted on. They were trustworthy. They had shown that they would do their best to do what they know they ought to do. Now I just think about this thing of being faithful. And the Lord took me from Genesis 6 to Judges 6. And He said in Genesis, 6, Genesis chapter 6 uh, that Noah was faithful in what we would call much. I mean, we think about and read the scripture of Noah, how that God came to him and said, I want you to build an ark. And the judgment's coming. God gave Noah the blueprint. I said, you need to build it this wide, build it this long, build it this high. And God did what God showed Noah the plan and Noah did exactly what God said to do. One of those blessed verses about Noah said, and everything that God commanded Noah, thus did he according to all that God commanded him. And Noah was faithful in what we would call much. And it made a difference. It made a difference in his home. It made a difference in his family. It made a difference in his children. It just made a difference. And then we go to Judges 6 and we read about a man by the name of Gideon. And he's in the wine press with a handful of wheat. And we think, well, Gideon ain't got much like Noah. But I'm going to tell you what, Gideon was faithful in little. If we could say that Noah was faithful in much, we could say that Gideon was faithful in little. You say, well, it didn't make a difference. It might not have openly. Like we think about Noah, but God noticed the faithfulness of Gideon. For the Bible said the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak, which was an oak, and he said, Thou mighty man of valor, the Lord is with thee. Just being faithful in a little. We get it in our mind. That if we're going to be faithful, that we have to have some high office in the church. And in reality, there is no real high office. We're just all in the body. Hasn't seemed good for God to put us. Now, I understand that there's a calling associated with the preaching of the Word of God. I understand that God sets it apart from everything else. But in reality, we're just all in the body. I've seen good for God to put us in the body. We can't all be what the other is. Paul said, if all were I, where would be the hearing? If all were the hearing, where would be the smelling? We're just all where God put us in the body. You don't have to have some big occupation or big office or a big title in this day to be faithful to God. You just be, you may feel like you don't do much. It don't matter about much or little. God does not enumerate it that way. He said if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. 
I wonder this morning about some men that'll be faithful. Some men that'll fight and some men that'll be faithful. Then I thought about what about some men that'll fill the gap. I read in the book of Ezekiel and I understand it's the Old Testament and I understand there's historical context going on there that Israel, God said He's going to judge them for their rebellion. He's going to judge them for their wickedness. He's going to judge them for their idolatry. And He said, I sought for a man among them that should stand in the gap and make up the hedge. He said, I sought for a man. Really, if you study that scripture in its context and study what God was speaking up there, He said, I'm looking for somebody that would intercede, that would step forth on behalf of all the people. But He said, I found none. God said, I just wanted a man, one man, to talk with me about what was going on, to plead with me, to turn back, to to beseech me, to beg me, to have mercy. But he said, I couldn't find any man among them that would fill the gap. We read about this situation in other places in the Word of God. Moses, he interceded on behalf of the people of God to God and God turned away his anger. Other places in the Word of God where men stood in the gap and made up the hedge. I think about Nehemiah. We talked about him already this morning. He got down and he begged and asked for forgiveness from God. He said, it's my fault. Me and my father's house of sin, Jerusalem's in waste. The walls are broken down. He said, it's our fault and we need help from you, God. And he stood in the gap. And others down through. I think about Abraham when he talked with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham interceded with God. Abraham stood in the gap. Now there's a lot of people, and I don't know, what we have record of in the Word of God is what we have to go on. I don't know what God might have done. I don't know the mind of God. I know Abraham stopped at ten. He said, if there be found ten righteous, would you spare the city? And God said, I would if I could find ten righteous persons in all of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if Abraham had went all the way down to one, if God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if Abraham stopped too short. I don't know if Abraham stepped out of the gap. But really in reality, what we need in this day is for some men that will be willing to stand in the gap for our families, for our wives, for our children, for our churches and beg God to have mercy on us and help us in this day. I'm going to tell you what we need. We don't... I don't think there's a soul in the building and I'm not going to preach politics this morning. I don't got no place in the pulpit. There ain't a soul in this building this morning that's probably happy with the direction our nation's going. But I'm going to tell you what we need. We need some men that'll stand in the gap for our nation. I understand that God's blessed America. I understand that America's sin in the eyes of God. I understand that America's going to have to be judged. Peter said that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and let them for an example of any nation that should follow. And if God judged Sodom and He did for their wickedness, then God in His holiness must judge America for her sin and wickedness today. We need some men that will be like Hosea and say, Lord, we know your wrath's coming, but in wrath would you remember mercy. Lord, I know your judgment has to fall. I thought about David when he stood that day for the people and how he had sinned and the Lord said, a judgment's coming and David began to pray and the Lord said, you'll not stop the judgment. But he said, I'll give you a choice of the judgment. And David said, let's fall in the hand of God. At least he'll have mercy on us. 
I'm going to tell you, I don't know what's going to take place. I understand that people want to say, and we're living in a day, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I didn't really want to say anything about this, but I feel compelled in my spirit this morning, then I'll go on to the last one and I'll be done. We're living in a day where, uh, and it was taught about this morning in Sunday school about false prophets. And I'm going to tell you about, there's more to being a false prophet uh, than just teaching and preaching open heresy. Uh, but the Bible warns us about greediness uh, and being greedy and filthy lucre and being in it for their own profit. And we're living in a day to day where there's a bunch of people want to deal with end times and they want to skew it to make things say what it don't say and try to mold it and make it to fit our generation. I understand there are things in here that coincide with what's going on in our day. But I'm going to be honest. I don't know all that's going to take place between here and the end. But I know I serve a God that in the midst of wrath can be merciful unto us. But we need some men to fill the gap. Then I thought about, and I'm done this morning. We need some men to fight. We need some men to be faithful. We need some men to fill the gap. I want to say we need some men to be fathers in these last days. I'm going to tell you the word father is a whole lot more than a biological term. But it's a biblical term. We use this term when we address our Heavenly Father. And He likens His love for us to earthly fathers, even though His love is higher and greater than any earthly father could ever understand or comprehend. But we learn in the Word of God that the Bible, the Bible tells us about being a father. And it tells us that to be a father, we must love our children. And I'm going to tell you something that's unpopular in this last days and in our generation, but loving your children has way more to do than just celebrating their achievements. Loving your children is way more than a bumper sticker on your car saying, my child earned the honor roll or my child did it. Loving your children is way more than presents under the tree at Christmas and buying them everything your heart desires. And I'm going to throw a parking brake right there for a minute and tell you that in this day we're spoiling our children instead of loving our children. I'm not saying don't give them good things. I try to give my children good things. And I may have given them, probably have given them more than I probably ought to. But I just do it out of love. God said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much better shall your heavenly Father give you? I'm going to tell you where to pattern. I want you to hear me well this morning. Those of us, and I'm saying us, Preaching myself as much as anybody else in the building. I got four little girls sitting there. Some of you got children. Some of you got children on the way. And I'm going to tell you in being a father, if we're going to be a biblical father, we're to pattern our relationship with our children after our father's relationship with us. He is the ultimate role. Not what Dr. Spock says. Not what the books say. Not what the doctors at the doctor's office say. And not what the forums and what Facebook says. Not what the world says. But pattern yourself after your heavenly Father. And He loves us. And He does. If you want to use the word celebrate, He blesses us. He gives us good things. And I'm going to tell you, He also loves us when He corrects us, He does it out of love. 
And I'm going to tell you this morning, according to this book right here, and I know this ain't popular preaching, and I probably won't get a lot of likes, but according to this book right here, if you won't correct your child, you don't love your child. That's this Bible. If you won't correct your child, you don't love your child like a real father should. And it goes beyond fathers. It's fathers and mothers. I understand. But the reality is this. As the father, we are the ones that will stand and give an account to God for the way we loved and corrected and chastened our children. And God said, every son I love, I scourge. And he said, if I don't chasten you, then you don't belong to me. We live in a generation, and I see it every day. We live in a generation where the the children tell the parents what they are and are not going to do. The children tell the parents what the rules ought to be. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I'll be 100% honest with you. I appreciate my raising. I appreciate my grandmother and my mother. They did the best they could to raise me. And I account and attribute by the grace of God through them. I am where I am today. Thank God for it. But I didn't have a lot of rules growing up. I needed more. But thank God for my wife and my wife's family that they had rules. And because of her rules, it placed rules on me. And it was all the work and the grace of God. And I'm not, I'm not a belittling my grandmother and mother. I had rules. I did, but they were a little bit more lenient with me than I, I look back and think, man, there were a lot of places I could have been, a lot of things I could have done. But thank God for the grace of God that made me and kept me from the things of the world. God knew I'd need to... It's amazing to me. It shouldn't amaze us had the foreknowledge of God, but it's something our minds can't get wrapped around. God knew all them years ago that I'd need to stand this morning on a Sunday morning in March, the year 2022, and preach to a congregation and to some young men about being a man in these days. And so He kept me from some things. Now I'm going to tell you the rules that God lays down for us ought to transpose over into the home and we ought to have some rules for our children. And the rules are not to harm them. The rules are to help them. The rules are instituted because we love them. And we we want what's best for them. And I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to hear me well this morning. I'm not preaching arrogantly or mean spirit. I'm preaching from my heart this morning. I see it on a daily basis. If you don't institute and put rules and train obedience, you have to train your child to obey. You have to train your child to lie. It naturally does that. I mean, we don't like to think about it, but even babies lie when they cry. They're not hungry and they don't need to be changed. They're just crying to get our attention. I'm telling you, it's natural in us. We're born with that nature. We are sinners not just by practice and choice, but also by nature. It's in us. We sin because we're a sinner. That's what sinners do. You have to train your child to obey. You say, well, let the school do that. By the time it's time to go to school, it's too late. If you have not already trained them to obey, you might as well forget the school being able to do anything with them. That's right. 
We say, well, we'll take them to church and let the preacher preach to them. If you don't practice it at home, I can preach till I'm blue in the face and it won't do any good. And I'm going to tell you something even more sobering than that. The reason that God set it up the way He did is that they learn obedience and to be in the subjection of the authority of another that rules over them at an early age so that when they reach that age and God the Holy Spirit convicts their heart and shows them that they're a sinner and that they already know what it means and what to do to place themselves in subjection to the authority of someone over them. I'm not here this morning preaching that making your child obey is what saves them. But I'm going to tell you it will make it easier for their will to be broken and for them to submit to the authority of God if they already know to submit under the authority of the ones over them. Yes, brother. It is for their benefit to make them mind. And they're not going to be perfect. There's no child going to be perfect. I'm going to tell you what children will do. They'll act like angels at home and they'll act like heathens in public. It's just the way children do. But we must make them obey in public just like we do at home. And we'll get criticized. We will. But I'm going to tell you something. It's easy. Here's the thing about it. Goliath stepped out on the battlefield. What I'm preaching this morning, Goliath said, give me a man. A man. One man. He said, I, if you look at the words, he said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. You go home if you don't believe me and look up the word defy in the Hebrew in its context and see if it's not what I'm telling you this morning. The word defy in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse uh, number 10 means to strip down and expose. He said, I defy, I strip you of all your accolades, I strip you of all your other victories. He said, it's come down to right here and right now I need one man. I'm going to tell you something this morning. It's easy for all of us, us. It's easy for all of us to do it when everybody else is doing it. It's easy when we're going with what everybody else is doing. But what about when we get stripped down and we're exposed and it's just us and God? What then? Will we be a man? Will we fight? Will we be faithful? Will we fill the gap? Will we be a father? When it's not popular, when everybody else is not doing it, will we give us a man? Goliath said, give me a man. Being a father takes love. Being a father, according to Scriptures, takes labor. It is a work to be a parent. We live in a day where it's made to be something it's not. We live in a day where it's a part of being part of the system. We get the people get more from the system to be made apparent. But according to this Bible right here, it is one of the greatest responsibilities that God will ever place on an individual 
is to bring life into their home and put it under their care and responsibility. It's a labor. It's a labor. And I understand that there are certain things that we cannot do as men. I understand that. And a lot of things are placed on the, the wife and the wife. I understand that. I mean, I've got four girls at my house. There are things I can't do. I'm not going to... I mean, there are just things I can't do. My wife has to do. And a lot of the responsibility for those things, the brunt of it, is placed upon her. But the reality is the great responsibility. I know it's part of her responsibility. I understand she's a parent just as much as I am. But the spiritual responsibility lays on my shoulders. And God expects me to be a man and to lead my house. And see, we, we have got to a generation they, they don't even know whether they're a man or a woman. I mean, that's where we are. They're so confounded and so confused. And we live in a generation where saying that somebody's a man is considered hate speech. But that ain't what the Word of God said. And I'm not preaching arrogantly this morning, but we need some men to be a man. To be a man. To be the Bible. The Bible definition of a man. To be a parent. To love your children. To labor for your children. To long for eternal things for your children. God, help us. Lord, help us as parents, as fathers, not to make our child's existence consist of temple things. That's not what it's about. But they have a soul that will spend eternity in one or two places, heaven or hell. God help us to long for and to look for eternal things for them. To teach them and train them that it ain't about... I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having good things. God has blessed us all. We all have good things. But Jesus said, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesseth. Lord, help us not to kill ourselves just to try to leave our... I understand wanting to leave things, but it's more than houses and land and cars and money. Now, I, won't, I, I understand. I don't know how long time's going to last. I know how somewhat difficult it was for me and my wife to get started, start with nothing. I mean, my parents and her parents did their best to give us what they could. We live in a day where children feel entitled. And I'm going to tell you whose fault that is. It's parents. It's parents. And I don't know if time will last for my little girls to grow up and God help if they can find a man. I'm praying if time does last for God to give them a man. A spiritual man that will take them to the house of God. I done got it purposed in my heart. And you can say what you want to about me, but I'm going to preach what's right. If they won't go to church with them, they ain't going to date them. No questions asked. No questions asked. Lord, help us to leave behind 
if it should be my time to go today, if God says it's, it's done for you, and I leave out of this world, and they wheel my casket in front of the pulpit, I don't know how long I have. None of us know. Today could be it for me. I want to see my girls grow up. I want her to see those things. But if, if it's the will of God for me to go, it's, there's nothing I can do about it. And if I leave out of here and they wheel my casket up in front of this pulpit, I done told my wife, and I'm not trying to preach sentimental things or drum up feelings, but I done told her don't take me to the funeral home. It's the most disrespectful place I've ever been in. I said, take me to the house of God. I said, call Brother Jeremy Oakley and have him stand and preach the Word of God. And sing. I want y'all to sing. And I want my girls to come around and look in my casket and not say, Daddy taught me how to farm and Daddy bought me sheep and Daddy did me this and Daddy did me that. I want them to say, Daddy loved God. Daddy preached right. Daddy showed me how to live right. Daddy told me what was right. Daddy left behind eternal things for me. That's what it means to be a man. I'm not boasting in myself this morning. In reality, we can't be a man within our own self. It takes the grace of God to be a man in these days. It took the grace of God for David to step out on the battlefield. and It'll take the grace of God for us too. But God help us all. Goliath said, give me a man. I think in these last days, God's call is, give me some men in the church, in the home, in our families. Give me some men. As we stand all over the house, I'm done this morning.